Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 94. What would happen right now if you and your business partner got in a disagreement about the future value of the business, how to exit, and who is deserved what? Well, that's exactly why I have Corey Northcutt on the show today because Corey had three other partners who all had 25% equity. And Corey got to a point after he started the business, brought on a partner, which was in the web hosting business back when it was a hot commodity. They then grew the business and merged with the data center where they all had a fourth share of the business and all of the partners had different opinions about what it was worth, what they wanted to do with the business, and then how everybody should get out. And Corey was extremely open and honest about the challenges that he went through and how everything unfolded and why he ended up exiting the business. So I really believe that this is a must listen to because we've had some amazing exit stories on the show about how amazing it can be with great communication. And Corey was kind enough to come on and share some of the stuff and the major challenges that he went through. So I really hope you enjoyed the episode. So without further ado, here's my episode with Corey Northcutt. This episode of Life After Business is brought to you by Solidity Financial's Growth and Exit Planning. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the right buyer at the price you want. Corey, good afternoon. How are you doing? Pretty great. How are you, Ryan? Doing good, man. Glad uh, we got connected through our awesome YEC network. And we've also got some fun mutual connections that'll be interesting to, as this story surfaces. But you got a pretty cool story and you reached out and we're uh, more than happy to share on the show, which I'm excited to hear some of the inner workings of what you've done so far. But for the listeners that you know don't know you or your background, can you give us a, you know, a little bit of background on, you know, how is it that you became an entrepreneur? What was the set of circumstances that you found yourself um, running a business? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my, I guess, track into becoming an entrepreneur was a complete accident, which apparently is a pretty common story in the space. Isn't um, it funny? <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't, I think I always knew I would do something, but it kind of took me by surprise, right? So I, I grew up around family businesses. I, I always thought, you know, I can tinker, I can do this, right? Like I could watch my dad fix appliances and <laughs> you know, run simple businesses. I could do it too. But in my case, I started a web hosting company in what, 2004. And it's, uh, you know, I, everyone was doing it back then. Like, it, I think it's, it's a stretch to say it was a web hosting company. Because you could go to GoDaddy, you could spend $5, and they let you host a couple extra accounts, right? So it, it grew very, very quickly and by accident until, I don't know, I mean, we can dig into the story here, but I ended up taking on more partners, merging with other businesses. It got big and grew into this wild hydra of brands before I finally just said enough and just wiped the slate clean in 2010. So... So how did, so, and I think that's interesting because I, you know, for the, there's a, I would say probably a good chunk of our listeners that totally get the web hosting and, and some of them that don't, you know, so how, how exactly, you know, with you growing that fast, how were you growing that fast and what were the actual services that you're providing? 
Yeah. So at the beginning, it was just web hosting. Uh, you've got a website, some local businesses, uh, you know, the coffee shop that I hung out in, just people from around. Uh, that doesn't generate a ton of revenue, right? It's spending $5 to make $5 a month each time. So there were quite a few pivots as we were growing that business that I guess today they call it growth hacking. I think it's kind of a, a stupid description of just <laughs> looking for opportunity and kind of adjusting your business for it. I do SEO and inbound marketing now, but you know, even though that was central, I think at every stage of the game, it was really those shifts in vision for the business as a whole that I probably deserves the majority of the credit. And then it's just kind of what we did with it. So we started out doing regular web hosting and it grew into the whole suite of services that uh, were related, but you know, in IT, like you, you can do that. So there were rent out whole servers to people or just sell them some bandwidth. Um, so there was a lot going on there. Well, and I was going to, yeah, I think it's such an interesting ability to the, as you're just selling one services to, to pivot because you got the customer base that you've got sitting at your fingertips. And were you guys actually, you know, purchasing servers and then putting them on site or were you just you know, relicensing and supporting the people originally? Or how, how did you actually end up getting into that particular space? Well, after a while we were, uh, so we realized after a bit, um, so after about a year, I took on my first partner and one thing we realized pretty quickly was we would much rather rent out dedicated servers to people instead of five or $10 a month, they cost two, $300 a month. Uh, some people pay a lot more than that, especially if they use a lot of bandwidth. There's certain applications for a server that use a lot more bandwidth than just hosting a website, for example. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time on chat forums at first and we realized, hey, we have this, uh, this guy who's actually got a pretty good deal on this in Chicago. He's a terrible communicator, um, a really nice guy. So we can kind of lead the charge for him. We can sell his product or resell it instead of just going from GoDaddy like everybody else, right? Um, so that takes off. And before too long, we filled a whole cabinet of servers um, doing pretty well. And I'm actually starting to consider leaving my part-time job at the time. Uh, that continues to grow. We get approached by a data center in Cedar Falls, Iowa, uh, called Team Technologies, that said, you know what, we see what you're doing. We have this brand new facility. We need somebody to fill it. So they pull us in there. And, and this is something that people who aren't really in the, the telecom world are probably familiar with, but not all bandwidth is created equal, right? Like most people just get their local internet from Comcast or whatever mm -hmm. now. But on the data center side, there were a lot of providers and some of them are considered really bottom barrel. At the time, it was a company called Cogent. Nobody wanted to touch Cogent. They would go out of their way to make sure that if they rented a server, it didn't have Cogent. Obviously, <laughs> we were renting out Cogent bandwidth uh, in our first business. Uh, in Everybody, I love it. It was cheap. And right. you know, they just had a bad reputation. They just kind of had some, they cut some corners maybe. I don't know. Um, but this facility that approached us was on the absolute polar end of the spectrum. Uh, they were licensing uh, internet bandwidth, which was, it, that could be more opposite. It was, and mm -hmm. it was really expensive to get it. But what they told us was, we've got all this bandwidth and nobody to use it. We need somebody to fill our commitments and ramp this up really quickly. So obviously we said yes. Uh, <laughs> we drove out to Cedar Falls. Uh, we got everything set up there. 
it was amazing. Uh, it was amazing for us anyway. It seemed like it was for them. We filled up a whole bunch of racks of servers in their facility. Uh, we didn't have a contract. Uh, this is just month to month that they just had you know, all this excess capacity to fill. We were doing a great job of filling it until one day they said, you guys have to get out of here in two weeks. Oh so, my gosh. How, uh, well, wow. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's some, let's, let's peel that back. Cause there's some other stuff sure. I want to make sure we go back to too. Um, but like, so how, what was the time frame that you guys were in that data center? So that was at maybe our first couple of years and that really jump started things, I think. Okay. So maybe let's take that in chunks and go back to, so, you know, Corey, why did you actually end up getting a partner, that first partner that you had? Was there a reason? Was there skill sets? Did he provide funding or mark different kind of expertise or something? Sure. Well, the deal was uh, he would run the servers. Uh, that got me off of GoDaddy. Okay, uh, got it. But I was the marketer. I was the, the growth person, basically, in the equation. Did you guys, like, was there... Was there any kind of way you valued the business then, or was it just like, hey, like handshake deal? I'm going to give you some equity, or and we're going to split, you know, sweat, you know, sweat and uh, labor, uh, time and materials stuff, or how it was there? Was there any kind of formal way that you guys went about it? It was pretty casual. Uh, we registered an LLP. Okay. Uh, at that point, uh, I don't think we even had an operating agreement. It was pretty, uh, pretty crude. You know, we had like a joint bank account for the business, and that was it. It wasn't something that either of us even saw as a business yet. I think it was it was more of a hobby. So, when did it become a business in your eyes? Well, at that point, I guess by the time we moved into team technologies, it was looking like okay, this is going to grow into something that is going to be a long term project. This isn't just kind of screwing around on the internet anymore, like I've done my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, it still wasn't a full time thing. It was probably not until 2007 when we ended up merging with a client of ours. And I took on two more business partners that we took the whole thing full time. So was that, is that after the data center arrangement and then you guys got the boot? It was immediately after actually. So we got the boot. We ended up coming into a situation. We moved back to Chicago. Uh, we moved into uh, a facility with Steadfast Networks here. Uh, they're actually a client of our agency even now. Uh, so I've, I've had a really good relationship with them ever since. They've never kicked me out of their data center. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all around good people. Uh, so yeah, we ended up merging with a client of ours. And they did Ventrilo hosting, which isn't even an industry anymore, I don't think. And I don't know if you're familiar. I think most people won't be. Yeah, uh, I'm not actually. I barely was. It was a huge industry at the time, though, where... Basically, you know, we're using Zoom to do a podcast right now. Mm -hmm. There are a million different options for audio chat. Mm -hmm. You've got Skype, you've got, I mean, 10 million, and half of them are free. Uh, At the time, it wasn't the case. And this was a really niche thing, specifically for kids playing World of Warcraft. Uh, It's big in all the esports, but mostly it was all about World of Warcraft, where you'd have a guild of 50 kids all on one chat oh my gosh (laughs) and they needed a way to kind of control it right you can't have 50 people talking at once so again it was very niche and nuanced and they would all throw in in fact the company developed a an application just called guild pay so they could all like throw in a dollar and they would all have this you know 50 dollar a month server (laughs) it was a huge thing and it had grown 
explosively for them. Uh, we were their supplier in one city, but they decided that they wanted to grow into six different cities. They didn't have good vendors in those locations. They also recognized that if they did have a little bit more control of their infrastructure, uh, somebody that could rent them really high bandwidth servers like we were doing, that they would get a cut of that too. And it was just better all around, right? Well, right. And yeah, it's, it's such an interesting uh, landscape because it, you know, it kind of taken me back and probably a lot of other people and all the, how fragmented it all was. And if can, can we go back and I'm just kind of curious on like the yeah. data center part. So, so were you in there for a few years or like, what was the time frame that you said you were in that? So 2005 to 2007. So did your revenues just skyrocket? Because I mean, so explain to the listeners because they built they built it and they thought people were going to come and you were the traffic, right? So, I mean, it was, it, it made sense on the outside, right? And how, you know, how did your revenues change and did you have to build an infrastructure to support what, what that uh, volume brought? And then did that lead into you needing to merge or you wanting to merge? Oh, I see. So after the merger, what happened? No, no, no. So I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, with the, 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 the team technologies, the data center in Cedar Rapids, I mean, mm-hmm. did, so you didn't have a contract with them, I think, which is a lot of th- a lot of times people struggle with that is they're growing their companies and they're, you know, these opportunities kind of fly at them and they just, they don't realize the ramifications as things go south or they get kicked out, right? Sure. So did you, did that, did the original data center uh, engagement change like your revenue structure and did it spike revenues and did you have to build an infrastructure? So when they said, hey, you got to leave, they kind of precipitated the talks with you know merging with that client of yours? I don't think so. Uh, it came afterwards enough to where I would say they were unrelated. But okay. that time in Iowa, I think, did grow our business uh, significantly because it gave us a better product. We were able to just pop in front of new eyeballs and say, hey, look at what we've got here. Like this is really, it's a lot of bandwidth, but it's high-end bandwidth, which that was a value proposition that no one else could really replicate at the time. And then... And then your client came, you know, what, what, what actually triggered the merge then? Was it something that they obviously needed the services or, you know, what, what, what did they bring to the table that you wouldn't have just kept them as a client? Well, they were a bigger company for one, uh, significantly so, but they also saw that their market was trending downwards while ours was trending upwards. So I think everybody got something different out of the merger. And I still to this day kind of question what everyone's motives were at the time, but there were definite pros all over the map. Uh, In my partner and I's case, uh, we were quitting our part-time jobs, right? Mm -hmm. It means that this company is big enough and has enough streams of revenue to where we feel pretty good going all in with this. It also meant that we could expand our lines of business in a new way. And we had a new value proposition, which actually fit beautifully with our name, which was ubiquity. Uh, you know, the word means you exist everywhere. Our tagline was everywhere always, but we weren't everywhere. We were just in Chicago. So the way that we got around that was we took all of the servers they were renting in Seattle, Los Angeles, Dallas, Atlanta, and New York. And we put them into ubiquity facilities, we called them. So we ended up moving them into co-located data centers on our own equipment in each of these markets. And we started selling a solution that allowed any provider to do this. So people like CDNs were just springing up at the time. 
people with content delivery networks, uh, you've got game server providers, you've got voice over IP providers that all have a reason to have a lot of high quality bandwidth in multiple cities. I think after this, a company that IBM acquired called SoftLayer uh, was maybe the second company I saw have this same business model. And obviously they did it bigger and better than we did, but uh, I think there was something to it. Well, I think it, it and it, it kind of shows how fragmented the the services were and it was the customers and the needs that were driving the kind of the situations like you had. So but they, mm-hmm. they brought all the equipment and you were bringing some uh, that you were bringing the servers and the, the bandwidth. It, did they have like a bunch of assets? So like when you, like when you guys merged together, how did you guys value it? How did you guys, you know, separate the equity and the partnerships? I mean, did they have assets and you had customers? I'm just kind of curious when you take two different business models like that, that are, that are trending in different directions. How did that whole thing get structured? Uh, not as uh, professionally or elegantly as you're probably hoping to hear. Uh, <laughs> we literally just split it up four ways. Uh, so four equal parts and there, there wasn't much science. Uh, I think it's through just the utter chaos of it all that I think it, it kind of worked out. Uh, eventually like ubiquity did become a bigger company than dark star company that we merged into, but at the time it sure didn't look that way. So for me, yeah, like I'm much, I'm going to have share of a much larger company that looks pretty good. And I think for them, it was, well, this company's not even probably going to exist in a couple of years. So I want one that looks like it's going to stick around and we have a way to kind of build that. So again, everybody kind of expected something different, but it was so chaotic. Like, I don't think any of us went through the, the thought process of just trying to come up with a reasonable valuation. What would you have done differently starting there now that you've kind of gone through it? Uh... You know, I don't think I would have done too much differently only because I don't know the answer there. And maybe you have some ideas of what could have happened there. But in our case, I mean, we had an operating agreement and the one thing that ended up saving everything when everything kind of melted down later, we added one line to the operating agreement that wasn't like boilerplate, which was just simply if any partner spends more than I think like a hundred dollars, which to us seemed like a lot of money at the time that they have to get everybody else's approval, which just meant that, yeah, we've got this big multi-headed hybrid of a lot of partners. Just <laughs> make sure everybody is in agreement on where we're going. That was something that I think it wasn't as respected or organized as we grew. And there's maybe not the equity share, but a lot more just operationally, I think it would be more where I would have looked. Well, I think it's the operating agreement is something that a lot of people don't put a ton of you know weight on until they realize that it's not as tight as they need it to needed it to be when they have disagreements Definitely. and how and, and you know as you guys continued, what was the main vision as you guys okay you, so you split it all four ways and it was kind of like you said through the chaos and all the, the different motives. What was the vision? Did you guys have like a bigger vision of what you were trying to accomplish and how did you guys like start planning for the future? Was there any kind of end in mind or is there in what was some of the major milestones that you guys hit as a group? You know, nobody discussed them aloud. And I guess if there's one thing that <laughs> I would have done differently, it probably would have been that. So I think everyone had a different end in mind. We had one partner who just, he loved his lifestyle. He would have kept it going. Never even dreamed of exiting. And we had another that just, you know, buying sports cars. That was it. 
And, you know, another still that was like, I'm going to flip this company in a year. I'm going to go to work for somebody else. And I mean, we were all young too. Like I was still in college while this was going on. So I think that's something that it's very important now that like, if you have multiple partners that they are in absolute agreement of where are we going? We didn't have that. So how did that impact, like, in which is so common, Corey? I mean, like, even big companies where everybody has got different motives and it's never been talked about of what, what people want. And so how did that, and how did that impact your decisions on what you were going to spend? I mean, I'm assuming the sport, sports cars were on the personal bucket because <laughs> it's probably more than a hundred bucks. And, but like, how did that impact like your strategic vision and how you're doing investing in the back into the business? Because I think, you, I mean, I'm assuming was there tension and conflict as you guys were going through that? Well, we still basically had two partners. We were basically two companies. So we had two partners running Darkstar. We had two partners running Ubiquity. Um, there was a little bit of crossover and that is obviously where it started to get a little weird, but it was a decent system. Uh, having two partners with equal say could be a challenge when you don't have a tiebreaker. I, I think that that was something that as we reached the end of my time there, it became more of a thing. And I think that's something that could go better, but operationally it was just day by day. And we hoped that we reached an agreement. And it became even less about the partners because only myself and my original partner worked out of the same office with most of our staff. So we would usually pull in staff and get their opinions, but then it becomes political, right? It's, <laughs> well, this is your staff member. So, <laughs> you know, they, they know where their, their bread gets buttered or, or whatever. So mm-hmm. what, was your, what was the org structure like? I mean, like what, what kind of staff did you have at that point? Uh, well, we had 25 uh, full-time people in total. Uh, near the end there. So in a a web hosting company or really any service company, it's mostly support, um, Mm -hmm. answering tickets. Uh, We had five people dedicated to facilities in each city, uh, just doing on-site work and one person leading each of those teams. So a head of support and a head of facilities and the rest were outliers. We had like a, a network administrator and a salesperson. Yeah, which in in that time too is I'm assuming a lot of those people are very hard hires to find with that kind of skill set that can communicate and do that. I was I kind of had some of the same labor pool I was trying to pull from, and it's always a main very difficult challenge. <laughs> yeah, completely homegrown. Uh, one of our people actually came from being homeless into. Uh, Shut up! Uh, no joke. How uh, did you find him? <laughs> uh, we didn't. He was actually. Uh, he was close with one of the partners that uh, was on the other side, on the dark star side. So, yeah, that's just kind of how it went. Uh, like, it had just kind of thrown him some work on the internet, uh, you know, just freelance. Realized, like, hey, like, they're, they're really into this. Like, they're reliable and they're passionate about it. So, just kept teaching them. And, Crazy. Yeah. That, that's awesome. That's a really yeah, cool totally. story. Like, it? I, it, it definitely goes against any type of anything you hear about HR or whatever, but it worked out. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot different than trying to pick off the MBA or MBA people that are like, you know, automatically asking for a bunch of money and have no experience because it never worked in the, in the working environment before. Totally. So uh, did you guys like, what was the major milestones that you're marching towards? Did you have, you know, client contracts? How did you, I mean, were you measuring EBITDA? What were like the judging KPIs that you were measuring as you guys were growing? So we had a, a few uh, events as, uh, as years passed after the merger where 
people did offer to buy us. That was actually where all of us learned for the first time, I think, about the, the EBITDA model and how businesses get valued. But, you know, I think in our case, it wasn't even very flattering because our margins in that business were razor thin. And I think that's just the nature of, of hosting. It's like, can I offer an account for $4 instead of $5? Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it then. And that makes that world a little bit tricky. So we had a few uh-huh. offers and that was just by whatever methods they threw at us, we kind of considered. How did they come across you? I mean, and why were they actually knocking on your door? Uh, well, there was, there was a few. And I think I've, I've got to be careful there because I think there were probably NDAs or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was just different synergies, sort of like what put us together with the partner that we merged with, where people were developing uh, technology uh, on the, the game hosting side. It was interesting. Uh, just people were coming up with different solutions. Like esports has just taken off. So we had people developing different network services, that sort of thing, which was very attractive. We also, on the ubiquity side, it's all about economies of scale when you get into data centers. So just like team technology has just kind of used us for a little bit to you know, up their bandwidth numbers until they could get a really high paying customer in there. That mentality is pretty key. Uh, we got another offer from somebody who ran a merchant provider they said, well, wow, like Darkstar, like 20,000 clients, you know, Ubiquity had thousands as well. So the fact that you have a whole lot of small transactions means that would be great for my fees. That's leverage for me, it, just if you use my payment processor. Mm-hmm. So everyone kind of had their own angle. Interesting. Did you like as you're going through these different then when you say that you got these offers, did you go through like full due diligence? And so maybe the context I'm asking this inquiry is that I think a lot of entrepreneurs and the circles that we, we run into or any of them, they you know, these offers come flying out of the, the blue, whether it's from strategic buyers or investors or whatever, and they're crazy distracting because people go through different links or different, you know, like how, how long they go through the process before they realize it's not a fit. I mean, did you learn anything? How far did you go down before you started, you know, actually getting the offers? Yeah. So we've, I mean, we did some basic diligence for a few people. It was enough to, uh, I guess, firstly, make us really look at our bookkeeping practices a little bit more deeply. Uh, we ended up uh, looking at, you know, external bookkeepers for the first time ever. I uh, had never really had a reason to do that, but people care about your financials, it turns out, when they're looking to spend an extreme amount of money to, to purchase you. What were some of the things that you cleaned up or that you that you found that you didn't have clean when you were getting questioned? Uh, just the reporting in general. There was very, very little. Um, we were you know, tracking one business bank account with a, you know, a few business credit cards. Um, obviously, we can show profit and loss there, but you know, we didn't have a balance sheet. We didn't have it vetted by a third party, which was important to a few of the people we spoke with anyway. So just having somebody audit it who is not a partner. Yep. Did you, and then like other than the financials, I mean, did you, you know, was it contracts? Was it like service agreements or other things that you were pulling up? And was it distracting for you and the partners as you're going through this while trying to run the business? Uh, to an extent, yeah. Uh, it's not something that, you know, we got too deep into, uh, I guess, when we were fielding outside offers, but yeah, like every time a request comes in, that's one day that you're not working on growing the business that, that you're working on just diving in and, you know, formatting things for people. So it factors in for sure. How did your guys as a, as a team, 
And with, especially as you mentioned that you have four partners, but kind of you found out we're different motives as you're starting to, you know, get a little bit of a taste of a different perspective of your business. How did perceptions change or did you start to see different motives come out of that? I mean, was there revelations throughout some of these processes? Yeah, I think that it, even more than the process there, like, yeah, I got everyone talking for sure, really for the first time. And we all kind of came up with our number, right? Like, I, guess, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this on here. You've got the expression, fuck you money, right? Yep, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll let you know. What did that. That, that mean to you? Because I think it means something different <laughs> to everybody, but I'm curious because, yeah, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that that's what we all want <laughs> and it yeah. means differently to everybody. Sure. And to us, like, it, you know, we were greedy. Like, uh, we looked at it, it's like based on nothing at all. I'm like, I, I'll take 20 million. That's cool. Like I can see we're explosive growth. We're, we're going to be huge. Uh, and obviously most buyers are just not going to go along with that. Uh, but that was our first thought. That was my first thought. Um, I had other partners that, you know, it's like, well, I just want to get acquired and I really want them just to put me on salary. Uh, I want to work for them. And to me, that sounds like the worst thing ever. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't right. think I can do that. Uh, like Take I all this risk and go work for someone. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, so is, is that really the end game? And it, it certainly got all of us thinking in that regard and everyone had a different answer. How did you reconcile that? Uh, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> about a year later, I ended up selling my share and, and doing things my way. So, yeah. so how did you, well, I, which I think is a channel you got, like you said, you call it the four headed Hydra. <laughs> I think that's a, a pretty interesting way to describe it. it like, what were the conversations like? I mean, did the tension start to rise as you were starting to realize that everybody's got different motives? I mean, then like, how did you, like, what did that do to the, the conversations and the dialogue with you and your partners? Right. Well, it, I mean, it turned into Game of Thrones, right? Like you've got four different partners with like four different, you know, camps of staff that they've brought in. Uh, one partner had his whole family working for the company at one time. Uh, and everyone kind of had these allegiances. So it, it started to get really odd at, near the end. Like two partners uh, were clear about trying, wanting to get rid of another partner. And then <laughs> I think I had conversations at one time or another with every single team member about getting rid of somebody else, <laughs> somebody different every oh my time. Gosh. And it was really toxic, right? What were the reasons to get rid of the people? Was it to increase EBITDA or just to try and like to try and get ownership over the like what was the the purpose it was different every time uh we had one partner that uh i think was the first one that i started hearing about that was just uh, they said well we think he's kind of lazy and the reality was he had actually written most of the company's systems he was the one that was like well i'd, I'd love to be able to just do my thing and we'll run this forever right mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't necessarily building towards something but he was he was a developer he liked to work third shift most nights I don't think we usually saw most of what he did and I don't think he was really into communicating it because he never really had to. Mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, looking back, I give him a lot of credit. I think he was a huge contribution to the company, but then we had other situations too. We had a, a data center, it is an offer to move in. They offered us equity. I had one partner that said, well, we should cut out the other partner because I just, because we can in that deal and just move our stuff in there. But we'll start a new company and only we'll take the equity. It's like, well, that, that seems shady. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're, right, we're just, right. A couple other words I could think of too. <laughs> yeah. 
so that conversation happened. Then, you know, I, I had another one where, uh, you know, I, I think ultimately a conversation was had where I was on the other end of this too, that I never heard, but I, I had that flip side of, Oh, I just don't think we need this many partners. So maybe we can kind of push them out. Maybe we can just, you know, we'll cut their salary. It'll be our word against theirs. And yeah, what are they going to do? So, Oh that, man, how, did, how are you coping with that? Uh, badly. I was not sleeping much. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was awful. That was the year that uh, the movie, the social network came out. You remember with uh, mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg, you got that expression. Now he's Zuckerberg and me. Uh, I watched that. I thought it was a Disney movie. Like it was freaking like nothing compared to my life at the time, which was just a nightmare. So yeah. Uh, one day I got a letter in the mail. Uh, the company moved to a different state uh, and I was getting looped into less and less as this was happening. And I, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I, I see like all these conversations have been happening for a year and a half now about different people every time. Like I, I know what people, people's motives are, which is just give me more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's. Did like, you guys did like everybody well, with all the different, you know, motives. What, did you guys have like a dollar amount that you thought the company was worth? That was worth all this crap or, or like, was there, was there enough to fight over or, you know, how did you, I mean, do, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, and yes, I think it was. And we had a dollar amount, um, actually a few different dollar amounts from people that had made us offers already. So that helped. It's, it is some extra validation. It's not necessarily, this is the model to value our company. And I'm not sure everyone, anyone ever actually gets that right. Like everyone has different models and they say, well, we should use trailing 12 months or we should use last three years. People kind of, negotiate that way and what i've seen but we had a few offers and i think that kind of set the basis what what were the ways that they ended up valuing your company you know i don't even know uh <laughs> it uh the original offer that uh, we were introduced to uh, the ebitda which i think just must have been a incredible multiplier because our margins were just super super slim uh, so I think it was just closer to gross revenue is what we came down to. Well, and, and I'm, I'm assuming based on your, your old industry that because of the sheer quantity of customers that you have, it's mm-hmm. a strategic purchase because people want the access to those customers. And Absolutely. It, yeah, it's a little bit different than going off of a, you know, a discounted cash flow or multiple of EBITDA because people can make money so fast if they had that customer list. Yeah, it's the customer list. It's the contract leverage too. And can you can you uh, expand on that? Sure. So when you run a data center, let's say you purchase bandwidth from AT and T, they're a provider most people probably know. You pay a a rate that gets calculated per megabit per second. So that's completely changed now, or it's become a lot more efficient. You know, you might have a hundred megabit per second from Comcast, right? Mm-hmm. A data center will have gigabits per second or 10 gigabits per second in larger increments. And they call it a commitment. So they have ramp pricing where they say, okay, if you buy 10 gigabits from us, you get this price per megabit. If you buy more, it gets cheaper. And you use your economies of scale that way. It For bandwidth, you do it for space in facilities. You do it for purchasing hardware. Pretty much across the whole spectrum of IT, the bigger you are, 
the easier it is to play. So it, it really, really rewards economies of scale. I mean, the Amazon model through and through, right? Pretty much. So, you know, when you've got going back to the partnership stuff, how are you, so as you're, you know, struggling with this emotionally and you got the, these dollar amounts and the toxic warfare going on internally, I mean, what way did you see out of that? I mean, how, I mean, I'm assuming you're racking your brain every single night making, you know, as you're going through scenarios, what are the scenarios that you thought of that you thought through and that you, and then what happened when you finally had enough? Well, I, it reached a point where I couldn't get my business partners to speak to me. Couldn't get them to answer messages. The right way to deal with it would have just been to have a conversation, but I couldn't get that to happen. You mentioned the idea of were people buying sports cars with their personal money. No, a couple of them went on the company credit card too uh, <laughs> near the end here. No. And it was getting messy. So finally, they moved the office to a different state. I'm not involved in that conversation at all, which is pretty crazy. My office shares a wall with one of my partners in the, the months leading up to that. Oh my gosh. I think the reason was specifically so they didn't have to have conversation with me. Like this was not something that they wanted to look me in the eyes after doing. And it's, it's awful, but that was the situation we were in. Like we, they avoided any conversation about this until the company moved to Arizona. I get a letter from someone's real estate attorney (laughs) that had like three bullet points in it. It said, you're, your salary is, you know, been reduced from like a nice six figure salary to like 20 grand a year. You still have health benefits, the second one, which I think legally they have to uh, at that point. And the, the third bullet point was you do not require access to any of the company's systems to do your job. Uh, what the heck? Yeah. Three bullet point uh, letter. And oh my God, your blood must have been boiling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially when considering I, I wrote most of the systems that I was being locked out of. Uh, it was my company. I was employee number one, even before I took in the second partner. In my mind, like I registered the domain. They actually broke into my personal GoDaddy account and managed to socially engineer the domain away. What was so off with you and them? Like, was it vision or what you were trying to do? I mean, like, what was what what was greed? Uh, you know, they had conversations about flipping it. I've heard from employees since then that they immediately were talking about flipping it that, you know, in the weeks after they moved to Arizona, but they thought that if they got me out, I think that they would be able to take the majority. Um, And everybody thought they deserved more than somebody else for whatever reason, which, you know, maybe that can be argued by somebody, but it's, it it was pretty rough. So I ended up finally getting a lawyer involved at that point. He said, you know, normally I advise business partners to work this stuff out between each other. Like it's going to get really expensive if you get lawyers involved. But in this case, I can see that you've been trying, like I can see all your emails and all your documentation to try to get them to talk to you and they're not. So I, I do think you need to file a lawsuit to get their attention, but in the same breath said, then I think we need to talk about settling, which I I hadn't even thought about. And by settling, he said, "I, I think you need to think about cashing out, which yeah, like this whole time up until that moment, the only thing in my mind was there's gotta be some way to fix this, to get, you know, people to be reasonable again. And, you know, he was right. There was no putting it back together after that. There's no way that everybody sits down in the same office and is happy working with each other again. So that yeah, ended up being, uh, yeah, that was it. So what was like, how did that, how did everything unfold there? I mean, did you, I mean, I, did you settle? Did you go to court? How did you come up with what you were owed and how to get paid? Yeah. So we, we settled. It happened pretty quick. It was just, Exchange emails. 
No kidding. After yep. all that. After all that. Yep. Did you say, oh, did you take like one of the dollar amounts that you guys had gotten in the past and said, this is, you know, a fourth of that and give it to me now? Or how, how did you, how did you work that out? That was exactly how I approached the conversation. <laughs> I, I, I just referenced an offer that we had before. I said, let's just give me 25% of that. And that's good. I'm happy then. Did they agree in that? On the second try. Uh, yeah. They, they kicked back. No, I said yes. And then they said yes. And then. Did they cut you a check? I mean, I'm assuming if you're going to do that, you want like to literally cut ties so that way they can't screw with you anymore. I mean, how did, did they go get financing? Did they have enough cash to, to, to write a check like that? I don't think I'm allowed to talk about like the actual terms, but it, uh, it ended up working out, I I guess is all I can say there. Right. Well, which I think is just, you know, for the listeners, I think it's just important too, because it's, you know, on the, and if you got anything, you know, thing that you can actually disclose on this is just, there's a lot of situations Corey, where it seems like they're going to get the money, but there's a lot of, oh yeah, I got you after the fact because of incorrectly written earnouts or promissory notes or employment contracts and stuff that there's a lot of, a lot of uh, potholes that people need to be concerned about. So it's not just about like agreeing on a dollar amount because there's a lot of other things to take into consideration. Sure. So, um, you know, when you look back at going through all that, first of all, what did you do after that all got settled? I mean, did you like spend some time reflecting and like trying to figure it out or did you, I mean, you must've been emotionally beaten down. I mean, that's just, how did you, how did you work through that? Yeah, I was. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'm going to take some time off. I'm just, I'm going to do some SEO on some websites. I'm just going to pretty much just live my life now in a way that is nothing like that, which you know, the past couple of years, it got me thinking like, what, what would be ideal here? It's certainly not politics in a company environment like that. So I ended up going to visit a friend of mine in the Caribbean. He's actually an archaeologist down there. And uh, I ended up staying in this old uh, fort with him for a couple of weeks. But I already had old competitors emailing me asking for help uh, specifically with SEO, because we were really, really good at SEO. So our old company ranked for Linux hosting and like all these other two word phrases. Like we were page one for just dedicated servers for a long time. And that was awesome. Uh, So I ended up taking a few consulting agreements. Those people started referring me business themselves, uh, their own competitors. So we ended up just kind of or I ended up building a, a company again by accident from that. And here I am. It's been, I guess, seven years since all of that happened. And now I have a, a marketing agency, which is much more profitable than my first company. <laughs> and it's, I'm happy. I have no drama. Do you have four, let me get, let me ask you what, <laughs> do you have four partners? <laughs> I don't have four partners. <laughs> wow. When you, when you were sitting in the Caribbean and you were, thinking about this stuff or even over the last seven years, Corey, because there's a lot of business owners that have partners and uh-huh. they get into it because there's random circumstances that they leverage each other and then they outgrow each other. You know, life happens and their outcomes and their desires change. When you were sitting there thinking about how you could have potentially got did something differently, I mean, is there anything in the partnerships that you, you learned? Maybe not that you would have done differently because you probably learned a lot and you're you've reflected on it. What, so is there anything that you learned from it that you did differently this time or for the listeners, you would just say, Hey, you know what, here's how you could have, you approach something like that. Oh, sure. So I did a lot differently. I think that all this stuff you learn the most just by doing 
um, in every manner of running a business. So I, I got a bookkeeper involved. I have really clean finances and everything's nice and organized. Um, I do actually know how to value an agency now. I know that, you know, like 3.5 times EBIT is pretty standard for where I'm at right now. I learned that really we should have been classified as an S corporation probably on the last go too. So I, I figured that out too, uh, just the different advantages of structuring a business. So yeah, everything's all new and it's, it's just, it's amazing. Like I, I never would have expected I would have been right back where I was at the time. It was like, you know, like the world was ending, but it a, somehow everything ended up better for it. You know, with your agency now, are you like looking to the end in mind, knowing at least what your options are at any given point? Because I mean, it sounds like you're actually running a good scorecard where you've got, you know, some valuations. And I mean, you're kind of always looking at the landscape and looking towards what your options might be compared to just kind of going day to day like you were before. Well, yeah, of course. I'm happy where I am, but I think you definitely have to look out for just opportunity. Uh, I've had similar conversations in this business, which I think is a good sign none that have been really where I want to be, but I can at least project, Hey, you know what, if I hit a number, uh, I hit a scale or if whatever reason, you know, life throws me a curveball and just like, I don't love doing this anymore. Like I absolutely know the way out. Mm-hmm. Is there, I'm assuming how are you with the people that you were surrounded with before versus now, is there certain things that you do with your clients or your employees or partnerships or something like that? to make sure that you really like the people? Cause I think there's a lot of people that out there that get into relationships that they didn't mean to, or they like put up with oh, yeah. crap that they don't wish. I mean, how are you, <laughs> your, 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 your uh, quality scale must be pretty high. I mean, how, how do you guys, how do you go through that personally? Yeah, that was really important to me actually, as I, I started to research uh, just what makes people unhappy with their job, because I was pretty unhappy at, at the end there with my last business. And Uh, you know, the thing that tops us about every list is interference in people's personal lives. And I found that was pretty true. You know, I was, I was losing a lot of sleep at near the end. I was worrying about, you know, what move is someone else going to pull and, you know, what am I going to have to do to make that right? And the first decision I made was no office. Everyone's remote. Uh, There's no commute. There's no who didn't clean the coffee maker. There's no sending passive aggressive emails. It's (laughs) how can I minimum absolutely like, any type of employee drama. Like if I can cut it out, I'm going to do it. We lose clients for it. I know like there's definitely people who want like the old school agency, like madman experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am glad to just say goodbye to those clients just so like politics cannot beat its way back into my life. So that's been huge. Oh my God. The, just the freedom from that. <laughs> Cause it, it's it, drama can just like suck you down on yep. every aspect. It really well, does. And much more than you realize. Right. <laughs> Especially going through what you've gone through. That's, that's a, that's a lot of it all at once too. Yeah. So if, if we were to, you know, highlight one thing that you've kind of talked through or, you know, one thing that we maybe haven't hit, is there it's something that you leave the listeners with that you want to make sure that you, you really accentuate? Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't stress too much if you don't really know like where you're going to be tomorrow. It, it really helps to know, um, you know, what your business is worth and all that, but things have a way of working out. Well said. I think that's a, 
Uh, and there's a lot of entrepreneurs that that's how we live, <laughs> but knowing, knowing the foundation and knowing if something knocks is also, like you said, super important, which you said, you, I mean, you obviously have that stuff readily at hand. So it's important. And that allows you to kind of leave that stress, I think as well. Definitely. What's the best way, uh, Corey, for our listeners to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, well, they could, uh, find our agency site is northcut.com with two t's uh also look me up on twitter at uh cory underscore northcut c-o-r-e-y um again northcut yeah cool man thank you so much for coming on the show cory appreciate it yeah thanks ryan thanks for sticking in there i hope you enjoyed the episode with cory it was real and raw and you got to hear some of the inner workings of the, the stuff that really ended up eating Corey alive. And I think if there's a couple main takeaways that I had is the amount of work that it takes to do an operating agreement and to get all of the stuff set up ahead of time is so worth it because it eliminates any ambiguity of how hard decisions are made and you're not going to make good decisions in the heat of a moment because if there's ambiguity, Every human being is going to do what they know how to do best, and that is survival. They're going to start protecting themselves, their vested interests, and then people immediately start pulling away from each other. So if you can take the time to have an operating agreement and ahead of time as you're forming the business or you're doing it now while relationships are good, there's a healthy business, and you identify how is the company going to be valued? How can people get out? What are the different ways to make decisions? Should there be a challenge or a gridlock between individuals and what they want to do with the business going forward? And then you have roles and responsibilities that are set up accordingly because you can be an owner and have a different role, but everybody has the equal share. So clearing all that stuff up when relationships are healthy and the business healthy is absolutely a must because if you have something that comes up because life is going to pop up there's going to be death disability there's going to be competition there's going to be random offers if you know how that you're going to handle and how you're going to process those situations because you worked on it ahead of time the chances are that you're going to have a frictionless and a dramaless world because everybody knows exactly what's going to be expected and how everybody's going to be handling it. So I hope this was able to shed some light on to the challenges that can happen if you don't do some of the work ahead of time. If there's one takeaway, go back to your partners if you've got them and have the hard conversations about what do you want, how are we going to make decisions and why. So if you enjoyed this episode, give me a rating on iTunes. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.